Amen. It's good to see you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take those and open those to the second to Second Corinthians. That's two Corinthians. If you're speaking from a presidential platform, Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight. We're going to pick up in verse one. Verse one. I'm going to read verses one through fifteen over us. Uh, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that, according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord... And then to us, by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task. So that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if this eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, there is surplus... There Time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. We have the opportunity this week to uh, spend time considering again what it means for us as followers of Jesus to look at and consider our giving. And, and the reason that we're doing so as we walk through this series called Generous, uh, we, we're not very creative at times, it's just called Generous. As we look at our time, talents, and treasures and think through what it means for us to use those for the sake of God and His kingdom. And, and last week, just at the very beginning, we laid it out for Matthew that when we consider our giving, we have to start not with what's in my pocketbook or in my wallet or in my whatever. We start from the place of looking at our stuff and asking this simple question. Whose is it? Who do my things belong to? And every one of us in our hearts and in our own minds, we desire to say that our stuff belongs to us. Now, most of you have been churched enough to know that you should not say that your, church, your stuff belongs to you, that it belongs to God. But in reality, many times we don't practice giving from that angle, from that perspective. So for us as followers of Jesus, base level, we see that God has said that everything that you have belongs to Him. 
Who does your stuff belong to? My stuff belongs to God. Your stuff belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And because of that, we should look and see the idea of giving from that perspective. I'm not giving what is mine. I'm giving back what has been given to me. So, with that in mind, who does my stuff belong to? It belongs to whom? You guys are so good. You are so good at church. I am proud of all of you. Today, we're going to look at, since my stuff belongs to God, with what I've been blessed with personally, what my family has been given personally, why should I give, why do I give, and how should I give? Again, why do I give and how should I give? And what's the reason and the rhyme behind all of this? What is the basis for how I, as a believer, function as a giver? And so if you're a note taker, just a, a big over, overlying thought for us this morning is this. Recipients of grace respond in grace. Recipients of grace... Respond in grace. Or we could put it this way. Grace to you is grace through you. Grace that's been shown to you is grace that should be shown through you. So, for us to see this passage for with this in mind, as we consider the giving of this church that Paul is talking to, and we consider the giving that God has called us to as followers of Jesus in 2020, which is really hard to say, the Barbara Walters year, that we as followers of Jesus would look at our things and consider all that we have, and we would wrestle with this idea. Am I giving to the things that God would have me to give to? Am I giving His stuff back to Him? And do I see my church as a conduit for that? So, recipients of grace respond in grace. You actually see that in this early part of the text. And the first thing we look at is, we have to ask this very simple question. Well, if we're saying that recipients of grace should show grace, who are recipients of grace? Now, that's a twofold question. In one sense, every person who lives and breathes on planet Earth is a recipient of grace. It's called general grace, and that's the idea, the prevailing thought there. It is a grace that we all have received from God, that He has given us the opportunity to live and to breathe. So if you were able to take a deep breath so that you could listen to me this morning, you are a recipient of grace. If you walked outside and, uh, and you noticed the sunshine on this cool, breezy day in Lake Jackson, you are a recipient of grace. If you opened your eyes this morning, you have received God's general grace. However, the passage is not talking about those of us who've received general grace, though it does secondarily. Primarily, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, looking at this text together, it's not about general grace. It's about the people of God seeing who they are because of God. We want you to know. So notice, out of the gate, chapter 8, verse 1, look there with me. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches. We want you to know about God's grace. Every follower of Jesus, when we look at this text, should desire for non-Christians to know Jesus and for struggling Christians to experience to experience the grace of Jesus through other believers. 
That is something we should hope for. That is something that we should want. That should be a desire of our souls. So, we as the followers of Jesus at Grace Bible. So, here's the thing. We have all these conversations with the church as to, okay, I'm a Christian and I belong to the church in general. Well, that's fantastic. And I believe that you should. But we, as followers of Jesus who meet at 1027 Dixie Drive, Clute, Texas, on the other side of the street, it's Lake Jackson. It's super confusing, but that's how it is. We, as the followers of Jesus who meet at this church, have to consider what it means for us to know the commitments that we've made as members to the body of faith here. Well, why? Why is it important for you to decide to use your times, ta- your time, your talents, and your treasures through a church-specific? Whether it's here, or it's First Baptist, or it's Brazos Point, or it's some other Bible-believing church. Don't go to one of those hack jobs in town, because there are some. But come to a church that teaches... That's true. If you have questions as to who are the crazy churches, I'll tell you. <laughs> but as followers of Jesus, we, as people who belong to God, should consider what it means for me to be making particular commitments as a member, as a one body. Why? Because in the general sense, we say that we're the church, and if that's enough for you, that means that you have to submit to the leadership of whack job churches, and that doesn't make any sense. We are called to submit to Bible-believing churches that honor God through the person, to the, to the name of Jesus, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. So we, as followers of Jesus, as we look at what it means to be a member here, have to consider what we have committed to. And I walked you guys through our membership commitments last week. If you weren't, if you weren't here, here's what you're going to hear. This is what it means to be a member of grace. You're going to sit down in a room with two of our elders, possibly Jared, maybe me, two of our other three elders, and you're going to consider these membership commitments. And I'm going to read these again because I know the pace of living in Lake Jackson and how optimally I see some of you guys twice a month. So just remember the commitments that we make. Seek to maintain a close relationship with the Lord through regular personal Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, and practice of the other spiritual disciplines. So if you're a member of this church and you remember me and another elder or two elders talking to you about this commitment, could you raise your hand? All right. That's awesome. If you're a member and you don't remember that, we may need to have a refresher course. We'll get some cookies or a sub sandwich. Who knows? We'll make it rain. Secondly, we will use the financial resources and spiritual gifts that God has given us for the building up of the church, both at Grace Bible and universally. Who remembers having that conversation with one of us? That's convenient. More of us have forgotten that one than the other one. All right, and third that we will follow biblical procedures of church discipline and submit ourselves to discipline if the need should ever arise, remembering the purpose is ultimately for the restoration and the glory of God. Next, we would submit to the authority of Scriptures as the final arbiter on all things. The Bible gets the final say, because I barely know what arbiter means, and maybe you don't either. The Bible gets to say the last word. Do our part to fulfill... The GBC purpose, Grace Bible Church exists as a family directed by God's Word to exalt God in everything, equip one another for ministry, evangelize the lost. So we've summarized all this with this very simple phrase. You've heard it. You've noticed us saying it. We exist to show that our neighbors and nations that Jesus is better. Well, what is Jesus better than? The answer is yes. All of it. Every single thing. 
So, with that in mind, as we consider being the followers of Jesus here, we walk through this membership commitment to point out that we have a, this idea of our resource commitment is pretty clear. That we as followers of Jesus would use our resources to display the grace of God to the ends of the earth. We would do that with the believers here because there are some who are here that we would need to lean into and care for in that way. And secondly, that we would use our resources to encourage and equip the church beyond us. That we would see that we don't exist in and to ourselves, but we are like-minded with other churches, and we want to come alongside of them to equip the saints in that part of the world, in that part of the country, whatever. Secondly, you see this as you look at this passage about grace. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not just a verse you read. This is a verse you... We come after. This is a memory verse for many of us. We love this verse. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. If that's something you know, help me out by raising your hand. God became poor for you. Jesus descended into this abysmal mess for you. If that's something you know, just throw it up. Let me see it. Paul uses this verse that we have memorized not simply to state this big theological truth. He makes this statement to talk about giving. Now, last week we, we talked about giving and how it's a really hard conversation for churches and all these pastors apologize about it. And we're, we're, not going to apologize. we're not going to apologize about it anymore. We can barely pronounce it, but we're not going to apologize. <laughs> I love this verse. We quote it. We requote it. It's the simplest, cleanest explanation Paul uses to, to explain to us the gracious action of Christ Jesus to allow you and to allow me to follow him. And he's using it to tell the Corinthian church that they had made a financial commitment to the persecuted church at Jerusalem. And Paul then uses this Macedonian church as his example of what it means to really give sacrificially. We are called to see our resources in the way that God saw his as something that, that comes in and goes out. God graciously gave Jesus to us. For us to not be gracious in our giving, in the way that we walk alongside of other churches, is hypocritical. And we as followers of Christ at this place, in this time... The leadership of the church, we're, we're calling us to move forward in the way that we would honor God by, with our generosity. So, if we're going to look at this text and we want to talk about the grace of God and what it means to be a recipient of the grace of God and how res, res, what recipients of grace are, people who've known the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and they've placed their hope there. What is the response for followers of Jesus? Recipients of grace respond in grace. Respond by showing grace. Again, grace to you, not the website that so many of you go to, but grace through you. Grace to you equates to grace through you. We would show grace to believers beyond us. Well, how should our gracious response to God look? 
Recipients of grace should give in numerous ways. And the passage lays that out for us. We should give, verse 2 and 3, generously. During a severe trial, the church at Macedonia, brought about by affliction, that means bad, bad things happen. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. That doesn't even make sense in natural terms. But when they were struggling the most, facing the most hardship, it overflowed in generosity. It poured out. Now, this has to be established. For us to give generously, there are battles that we need to fight. Two of those battles that we need to fight really are from the same, they're cut from the same cloth. One of those is the idea of consumption. You know, because we are mere weeks removed from Christmas, and we noticed when you took your stuff to the road. So Christmas is awesome. We are, we're all going to agree with Christmas is awesome. We love to watch children open gifts. We love all of those things. But there is a moment in your heart where you are dragging box after box after box after box and every shade of wrapping paper imaginable to your street where you look and you say to yourself, my gosh, did anybody feel that or was it just me? I was at my in-law, so I didn't feel it as bad. You just feel it. We are consumers. We love to take... So, so that's going to cause us to struggle to be generous. The second is to hoard. In my notes, I did not know what to say, so I literally have the phrase, insert hoarding joke. I don't have to make a hoarding joke. We all know how mortifying that is to watch. When you're, on the tel- when you're seeing it on TV, or you're watching it on YouTube... At the core of both of these is greed, and that is one of the seven deadly sins. It's, that's what some call them. And as Ed Welch has said, sin is nothing more than I want, and I want more. Whether, whether it's consuming or it's hoarding so that you have, it's I want and I want more. And that's sin that God's called us to fight. And for us to be generous, we have to fight those battles. That's why Jesus gives a parable of bigger barns. I've got so much stuff. What should I do? Big a, build a bigger barn so I can have more stuff. And Jesus speaks of that as if it's lunacy. And we speak of that as, of that as if it's life. So, when you talk about sin, whatever it may be, there are numerous times that you will deal with people wanting to confess their sins to you. And they'll catch you in the middle of Whatever You're at Kroger trying to pick up your, the rainbow cookies from Elfkin Magic. Somebody's letting you know how bad things are. Bro, I'm in front of the cookies. Children are around us. But I've never had someone come to me and say, hey, I'm just greedy. I'm really, really selfish. It's this acceptable sin that God seems to not view as acceptable. The Apostle Paul is raising funds for some churches and he's writing to this wealthy church at Corinth telling them, not telling them they need to give, but he's telling them, hey, you made a commitment that you were going to give and I want you to follow through with it. He uses the illustration of how great this poor church has been. The incredible works and acts of this poor church. And he's saying to these believers at Corinth, and you somehow missed this. So we give generously. So, so we look and we evaluate our resources and we would see what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for us as a following family of faith? 
at Grace Bible to give generously. But for us to see the we in that, we have to see the you in that. I have to see the me in that. Secondly, you said they gave eagerly. I love that. Verse 4. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. I've been around church a long time. I have never had anyone beg me. Can we just give you more? It's the antithesis of how we treat giving. There are Sundays here. So, so I've been here for almost three years now. And there have been Sundays where at the end of a service, uh, it's, it's very different. I, I grew up in a traditional Baptist setting. I tell people regularly, we're not Baptist here, we're Baptist. We kind of lean that way. But uh, when you are in a traditional Baptist setting, or maybe other settings are this way too, there will typically be a time where you take up the offering and someone will come up and they will have a prayer over the offering and they will m- mutter lots of words and inevitably they will get to this phrase, and God, could you please bless the gift and the giver. It's a really popular phrase. And when they have, so popular you didn't know it, and when they use this prayer phrase, they, the offering will take, be taken up and you've got all of the deacons at the front of the room. They're sitting there. They've got their nicest tie on when they've been called on. And they'll walk down the aisles. Well, we don't do that here. We actually do whatever's opposite of that. I have people regularly ask me, how do I give at your church? And I have to point them to boxes or show them websites. This is not something, if you've spent any time... We're not coming after this all the time. We're not pointing out how much you need to give. Probably to a fault. But you look and you see that we're called to give. Now, now, here's the thing. If you're here at the end of a service and you want to give, don't try to hand me money. Don't try to hand me anything. Unless it's a a baby dedication, you're handing me a child, I'm not going to take it. I become a T-Rex in all of these situations. I pull my arms in. We don't have these moments. But we don't have this big giving moment in the middle of our service. But we do see, as we look into Deuteronomy, that there is a picture of what it means for the church to give and how the church should give. And there was a point in the way that when they were making their declaration as to what they were going to do with their resources, the way they would give to care for the poor, the immigrant, the church, where they went beyond just dropping something in a plate or in a box as they walked out. It went as far as to have the giver stand up. Now, in a room full of introverts, you may not like this. They would have the giver stand up and hand over their tenth and declare in the handing of that tenth all of this belong to God to begin with. Deuteronomy 26, 11 through 15 if you want some nighttime reading. They were giving a tenth. Am I supposed to give a tenth? Well, we see that in the Old Testament. We actually, though, see when we look at their and evaluate their giving, many times they were giving more than a tenth. Am I supposed to give 10% of... Uh, 1%, one member of my life group last week said that they like the number 10 because it's a good round number. It's literally round. The zero is round. I'm not going to give you a number because the New Testament doesn't give you a number. And if there's ever a pastor who gives you what the New Testament tells to give, well, that's problematic because it doesn't do it. But what I will say is the idea of establishing a tent or 15 for you or 8 for you It's almost like bumper rails when you go bowling. It kind of gives you something to stand in the middle. It gives you direction. 
It's like when you're at the bowling alley, you pull the rails out for the kids, and it's just there to keep you in the lane. The reason that so many churches would offer up a number is to keep us in the lane. Otherwise, our heart move away from staying in the direction that we've been given. So we look at this. Most of us choose... Uh, so when you're looking at giving and what it means to give eagerly, we have to be careful to look and say, not what's the number. The question that we should ask is, am I giving to the point that it affects me? Is what I'm doing with my resources affecting the way that I live? And that means that we're not giving out of the surplus. We're giving out of what we have. Not just out of our leftovers. We're giving out of our firstovers, which is not a word, but we'll go with it. So most of us live in this way. We live like we want. We save when we want. And we give if we want. But the Bible has flipped that almost upside down. And has encouraged us to give, save, and live. We base our living after we've given. That's the reason we're encouraged to give first. Because when you're doing so, you're giving in a way that affects you. Our giving should affect us if we're to follow the model of Jesus where he gave to the point that he would die for us. Secondly, or thirdly, we see that we would give consistently. You see that in verses 6 and 7? Let me read 6 through 11, actually. Go there with me. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. And remember, he's talking about giving. So we have to be careful when we're having a conversation about people's resources because oftentimes for me, if I point out anything, if someone points out what's wrong with me and what's wrong with my heart, I want to tell you everything that I'm doing well. Paul wants us to keep this online. He is talking about the idea of giving. And here, he references the spiritual gifts. You see that in verses 6 and 7. And he says this to us in effect. As you mature in these gifts, because we love spiritual gifts, we take inventories and quizzes, inventorial quizzes. Paul says, as you mature in your spiritual gifts, you will increase your giving. If we are not increasing our giving, are we really maturing in these other spiritual gifts? Well, no. Based on the Bible. Like, that's not me, that's Bible. Lots of stuff I say is me, and you should probably get rid of that. But Bible, if you are maturing in your spiritual gifts, you are maturing in your giving. They walk hand in hand. But you notice the church at that he deals with at Corinth. They ponder giving. They plan to give. Because they're very much like us. They love to see generous and they didn't really want to be generous. We love generous, right? When someone's doing something awesome, we love to see them be awesome. One of my favorite players in the NFL right now is Deshaun Watson. Yep. He got a playoff game today. If you are unfamiliar with the way that football works, if the Houston Texans win, if the Houston Texans win, they get a home game next week. 
But they're going that I have a church member who is contrary to all things. He's much like my oldest child. But I love the sky being blue. It's actually neon green. All right. Deshaun Watson is the quarterback for the Houston Texans, your Houston Texans, my Houston Texans. And his first game check, he gave it all to three ladies who had lost everything in Hurricane Harvey. We love to tell that story, but then our next response is, man, if I had money like an NFL player, I'd do that too. What? We don't have to give what he gives. We give because we're called to. Care because we're called to. It's almost like this for me, again, very traditional setting growing up in worship. And when I started being in settings that are not as traditional, I would notice people lifting their hands in worship. And it was very uncomfortable for me. It was and because there were times where I just thought, this is weird. Why are people being weird in church? There came a point where. I, I leaned into it, and I would lift my hands. Now, let me make a confession to you. Whether I'm at the front of this room or the back of this room, I still struggle to do it. I don't do it because of what it does with my, with my mind. I do it to give direction to the rest of me. There are times that we have to look at giving and look at our resources and consider that. That we've been called to give, and it's going to be hard it's going to be difficult, but it helps to move and trend our heart toward the heart of God when we make, when we give, when we give with a, the direct to give with. Because God doesn't just give eagerly, though He does, we see that He gives sacrificially. And you see Him use in verse 9, the, the, I'll read it again, it's the core verse of this text. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Jesus gave in that way. Using the church at Macedonia as an example, He says they get it. They get it. So do we follow that model? Look, here's the thing. We want you to give, and we believe that we're called to give eagerly and sacrificially. The next thing we see in verses 10 and 11 is you're called to give willingly. Notice that. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. You wanted to give to God's great plan at the church at Jerusalem, but you just stopped. So Paul says, I'm reminding you not to stop. You made a commitment. Let's fulfill our commitment. So friends, if you are unfamiliar, we as a church, we have elders, and our elders set up various teams. We have a mission team, and we make a decision as a church as to what we're going to give. We make a commitment to give. We make a commitment to give eagerly, to give sacrifices. We don't try to have a budget for a church of 27,000 people because that is moronic. But we try to set a budget that we can look at and we can say we're going to give because we want to see people know Jesus abroad and people who are Christians grow in their relationship with Jesus. So when we give two things, that whether it's the church that we come alongside of in Denver 
or if it's a pregnancy help center, all of these things are like-minded with us and we make a commitment, we're going to give you this during the year in the same way that we see in this passage. We're going to make a commitment, we as the followers of Jesus who signed up, we, we didn't give you a t-shirt, we probably should have, but if you're a member of this faith family, you are part of the commitment that we make to these various organizations. So we give so that we can see the name of Jesus glorified beyond this place. Because if our entire understanding of what it means to be the church is bound to these walls, we don't have a church, we have a cult. We're connected beyond here by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's our unifier. He's called us to give willingly and sacrificially. In so doing, we are to give intelligently. You see that verses 11 through 15. There is thought put to this. Thought with this. Now also finish the task. So that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be completion according to what you have. If the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that we should be, that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need, in order that there may be equality. As is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. We are called to realize that we are to think through these things. That's the reason that Jared puts together a group of people to oversee missions and for us to look at ministry organizations that are like-minded with us. We are going to give toward organizations that support the idea of life, that support the idea of, of who God is and how He makes us in the image of God. We're going to come alongside of organizations that preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because that is our great unifier. We are going to partner with people who are like-minded with us as followers of Jesus. So when we give our resources as a family of faith, as a body of believers, as a group of people who belong to one another, just know there's been thought put into that. There has been effort put into that. And that we are better together. That we are better together in our giving when we lean out together. When we extend the grace of God as a family together. Paul is not going to the individual people who make up the church of Corinth and saying to them, you need to give and you need to give and you send a nickel and you send a dime and you send... Because they didn't have nickels and dimes. He's saying, as a family of faith, when you gather together, consider that you're making commitments together that you're making these promises together, that you're unified for God's purpose and His promises together. So, God looks at us and He points to us and He shows us the places in our hearts where, where money is a struggle. This is, there are three things that you can come to in the text that really are a struggle for any pastor, for any church. I make jokes about it, but if you talk about money... Everyone already has an idea about money. It may not be a good idea, but they've got an idea about money. They either have it 
and they want more or they don't have it and they want more. That's the idea we have. When you begin to preach about parenting, everyone has an idea about parenting. When you preach about marriage, everyone has an idea about marriage. We have all of these ideas. So whenever you bring up one of these heated conversations, I just want you to know that ultimately we find our basis for how we are to give, not because I've got it all together, because I don't, but because the Scriptures do give us direction, and we want to follow that direction. They point us towards Jesus. They point us to being generous in the way that Jesus is generous. They point us to be sacrificial because Christ is sacrificial. They point us to be willing because Jesus is willing. They take us to... And if you're afraid to give away your money, it's because that money is your hope. And we as followers of Jesus have been called to see that Jesus is our hope. If we're afraid to give away our money because it is what makes us significant and makes us matter, it doesn't make you matter. Jesus is the one who makes you matter. When you are the people of God... Our money is supposed to be the point, is supposed to point to Jesus as our hope and as the one who makes us matter. And it does not collapse in and on itself. It goes to somewhere bigger, to someone who is much more important. So as we think about this together as a family of faith, when we look at the idea of why we should give and how we should give, I hope that these principles that Paul lays out for us in this text will help to guide us in that direction. Tim Keller says it this way, and I'll close. If you see what Jesus has done for you, He has secured your significance. He has secured your security. If that's the case, then no longer is your money your hope. Your money becomes a sign of your hope. The new heavens and the new earth where, where, where dwells righteousness and your part of God's great story. God sort of says it to us. Look at what happened when my son made himself poor. Look at what is going on in your life. Look at what happened when Jesus sowed his power. He let go of his wealth. He impoverished himself. Look at the harvest already. Look at the righteousness. Look at his riches. Look at what, he, what, he, what has happened to you. Look at what has happened to me. God is doing a great work. It's already begun, so we should do likewise. Family of faith, I encourage us to look at our resources and see how we're coming alongside of the promises that we make. That we, this is not me or Jared making these promises. This is us saying together, we want to see the name of Jesus magnified and glorified in whatever IED word you want to use to the ends of the earth because we believe that he matters more than anything else. Our hope, our significance... We are called to be everything because of who Jesus is. We're centered in him. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to bow our heads and think through this together. If you have questions about any of this, I'm at the back of the room. If it's a lengthy question, let me know. We'll we'll set up a time to talk. We love you. And we always want to push us to being people who reflect Jesus and reveal Jesus. And that's the goal of this text. That's the goal of this series. For the body of believers who gather together here to reflect and reveal Jesus as we move forward. As much as we have in the past, even more so. Because we should always be becoming more and more like Jesus. If you're in a place where you have questions about 
help with financial things. I shared that a couple weeks. We'd love to partner you with someone. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to know that none of the rest of this matters beyond God has offered himself up to you in his son as a gift of grace. You can have a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So trust him. For those of us who follow Christ, I would hope that this week and today would be a time where we reflect on what, how we're using our resources to honor God beyond this place and in this place as well. Lord, we thank you for today. And I pray that your word will sit heavy on our hearts. I pray that it will continue to sit heavy on my heart. God, that we will see the the grand call that you have made for us to make you known. Lord, help us to know you and to love you and to express our knowledge and love of you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We ask all of this in Christ's name.